Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Welcome back to another Service Management Leadership Podcast. I have a great guest for you, Roman Zhurevlev. Roman is an Axelos beacon. He is the pillar in our ITIL community. And so I, I reached out to Roman, asked him to be on. Roman, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, it's a huge pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. And so let's jump straight into this if we can, just because I want to be, uh, I want this to be a meaty episode because you have a lot of wisdom to share. So you were one of the people orchestrating and architecting ITIL 4. And that is, I, as an outsider, is pretty curious of like, how did this development process go in terms of getting people's feedback, having a thought? Because ITIL 4 is breaking new ground in my book. I mean, it's a big step from ITIL V3. And so what was that development process like? Well, just <laughs> stop me after, after a couple of hours, uh, but I will, I will really try to make this very long story short. And you're right, yes, I've, I've witnessed it and been part of uh, our ITIL 4 development. I joined Axelos uh, more than five years ago in uh, our like, autumn of 2016, uh, specifically for the project of what eventually uh, has got the name of ITIL 4. That days we didn't know it would be ITIL 4. And uh, usually when I speak publicly, I introduce myself as the one who's responsible for everything you don't like in ITIL 4. Yes. Uh, are, there are many things people like about it and uh, are, who is responsible for that. You have a long list of contributors at the very end of each publication. They are responsible for everything good. I am the one to blame. <laughs> and are, there, is, there are some things to blame me for because uh, uh, one important role that I took during this uh, development process is to make sure that uh, every component of ITIL for every publication, uh, every product we put in this portfolio is uh, consistent uh, with others. Uh, uh, that there is some integrity, there is uh, uh, a consistent and coherent big picture. But all started, and this big picture was <clears throat> originally drafted like penciled and then painted and uh, maybe even put in some beautiful mosaic of some hard materials by a team of so-called lead architects are of the ITIL 4 Foundation. That was a wonderful team, international team. That were there, there were days of face-to-face uh, uh, -face meetings and international travel, and we benefited from all of this, having that team in London mostly. Um, and this included people such as uh, Stuart Rance and Barclay Ray and uh, um, Lou Hanneberg and Mauricio Corona uh, and. Uh, um, <clears throat> We had people from, from Japan, people from Europe, people from America, um, Erin Castile from Australia. So it was quite a representative team of thought leaders. And about half of the team was uh, um, or had been involved in version three development as well, 10 years before that, because we needed to maintain compatibility. We needed to ensure that people who have adopted Title Four. Uh, or sorry, idle version three would find it comfortable to transition to idle four and uh, will see it as a natural organic uh, 
let's say continuation of their journey rather than uh, a huge leap that would require like huge organizational changes. And <clears throat> there is a common pattern for all products starting with foundation. We start products that will include, that would include our certification at the end with the creation of a syllabus. So creation of uh, our learning outcomes and uh, um, our assessment criteria uh, that would eventually be tested. So we first answer the question of what we want, what learning outcomes we want to achieve, what, what, what would be the knowledge to communicate. Then based on that, we actually plan and draft uh, a manuscript. It's usually collective work. There were books such as High Velocity IT, where uh, there was a lot of contributors, maybe the uh, longest list of contributors, and uh, their small pieces were not originally aligned. Um, and Mark Smalley, who was the lead editor for that publication, he just reached out to, let's say, Dave Snowden, and uh, said, Dave, we need a piece on complexity and Canavian, uh, and we are going to use it for the purpose of that book, because we included addressing complexity in the syllabus. And Dave usually would come back with something uh, uh, along the lines of, you asked me for 2,000 words, I didn't have time for that, so here is 8,000 words for you. <laughs> And then it would be the work of uh, uh, the lead editor, important role for every book, uh, in this case, Mark Smalley, uh, to curate the content to down to 2,000 words. Maybe we would use the other six as a supplementary content, somewhere as an appendix, it happens sometimes. Sometimes we just needed to distill the most important things. And then the lead editor would uh, align it with similar pieces provided by other authors. And then I would align it with other books and make sure that other books are, are um, not contradicting, that we have the same glossary, that if something was introduced by a certain book in 2017, that uh, uh, books in 2018 and 19 are based on it, despite the fact that people who would be working in 2018 on writing the new book, let's say strategy book, doesn't, didn't necessarily read everything before. So uh, this alignment and uh, uh, let's say fine polishing of the uh, concepts and models provided by the teams led by lead editors is uh, also part of my responsibility, uh, including also actually suggesting lead editors, reaching out to them, inviting them, and more or less herding all those cats uh, or few herds of the cats at the same time. The most difficult was 2018 and 19, where we were. Yeah, when we were putting together four intermediate books uh, and 34 practices in the course of one year. And that was that was really uh, a tough, tough period in terms of multitasking and juggling all that resources. So our, the, the team drafts something, then uh, we have a, people, or a list of people who agreed to review. Some of them review particular pieces, some of them review the whole manuscript. Uh, we process their feedback, uh, and then uh, uh, we have at Axelos, we have a wonderful editorial team who managed to uh, somehow miraculously turn the broken English we usually write in into some proper idle English. Uh, and <clears throat> they do it brilliantly. Uh, and then the fine uh, finishing of this is the, uh, used to be done by the publishing team of our that day's publisher, the uh, TSO. 
uh, we uh, are not in partnership with them from this year on, but everything that has been published in ITIL so far uh, has been published with uh, the DSO. They had brilliant uh, editorial teams as well. So this is more or less uh, how it was done. The most complicated one was, uh, not complicated, the most challenging one probably was the foundation because we needed to come up with all the key concepts and models and uh, uh, we had a lot of uh, whole constellation of stars in the room and everyone was shining and uh, it was a uh, blinding experience in a way, uh, but also a huge joy. Uh, I couldn't imagine before that I would be working together with such giants are, uh, you know, in the same room and uh, sometimes even criticizing them. Uh, two last books. Um, that we uh, published this year, or last year in 2021, one on sustainability in IT, uh, another one on uh, the use, acquisition and use of uh, cloud solutions. Uh, they were created in uh, collaboration. So uh, the overall process was the same, but we had important contributors at the uh, lead editor or lead contributors uh, uh, status. Um, one was uh, created in collaboration with DEFRA, which is the UK Agency for Environmental, uh, Food and Rural Affairs, so basically government agency uh, for sustainability in the UK. Uh, and another one, the cloud one, was uh, uh, created in close collaboration with uh, AWS and Microsoft. And there were contributors from other cloud providers, but these two were the major contributors. And that uh, also required working uh, with people who actually know the subject better than we do uh, and putting it at the same time in the canvas, in the context of vital picture of the universe, uh, which was an interesting challenge again. I bet. And so if I can press in on two, three things, I was going to say two, but three, I really enjoyed hearing you talk about the syllabus because if we're gonna preach outcomes, we have to know those outcomes. I mean, if I tell saying, you got to have outcomes, not outputs, then let's, to use an American uh, phrase, let's eat our own dog food or drink our own champagne. We have to make sure we use what we, we uh, do there. Yeah. And also the foundations, I think is, I appreciate you starting there because I think that's the hardest conceptually, how that mo those models fit together whether it's the four dimensions, whether how the, the service value chain, service value system, how all that fits together. And, and I'm, I'm somewhat tongue in cheek here and seeing the word improve everywhere, right? And you know, just how all of that fits together, I think is, is the toughest part for most people. And lastly, I was going to say that uh, David Cannon's been on this podcast talking about the cloud one and David's a friend of the show. But those putting that model together for the service value system for service value chain, that must have been challenging, I assume. It was, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, uh, in terms of wording, in terms of uh, 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 alignment with uh, accepted or at least formulated uh, our, our terminology, we had to align it with uh, ISO standards, we had to align it with ITIL version three. We had to align it with uh, other, let's say, known and adopted sources. Mm -hmm. Or if we allow some uh, misalignment, that we needed a strong justification for that. 
Similarly, with practices, with the structure of the practices, with the scope, we, we, which practices are we going to include, which practices are we not going to include, the naming for them, are, are they practices or are they capabilities or why they are not processes, uh, are all that uh, are, you know, terminology discussions. Yes. I'm happy to say that I know the, the, the why answers for all those questions, and uh, are, I believe they're still valid and reasonable. And that's awesome to hear. I when I was talking about that, I just meant the everybody's a critic in today's world, and everybody is so quick to criticize. And so it leads me to my second question: What were some of the decision points of this creation process? Because there's a lot of smart people in the room with great ideas, and you had some decision points like, "Hey, I love your material; it just doesn't fit in." You know, I. I assume there are a lot of decision points. You want to walk us through some of those? Uh, there were many here. Uh, I will just give you a few examples. Okay. Uh, I believe it was very important and it was a lengthy discussion and it was interesting how we actually came up to the, uh, with, with the uh, final list, the principles. Mm -hmm. The principles for ITIL uh, were originally introduced in uh, the brilliant title practitioner publication back in 2016. Uh, and there were nine principles, and we reviewed them, and we uh, are trimmed the list down to seven, although all nine are covered there. It's just slight uh, uh, rewarding that allowed us to reduce the number. And it was a principle discussion in all senses of this sentence, and uh, uh, it took a lot, and it was, it was important and uh, interesting. Another important thing that uh, I vividly remember is... Um, the, uh, the content, let's say, the elements of the service value chain are visual representation and their key elements. We wanted to keep it simple enough and at the same time sufficient enough. And it was obvious that there used to be a gap in version three. Uh, if you look at the design transition operation or let's say flow or cycle, then somewhere between design and uh, uh, transition are, are in the real life, there is supposed to be some development. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, there was never there. And I believe that this architectural uh, gap uh, in a way uh, led to uh, this harmful separation of the two words, worlds, the world of development, uh, even under DevOps flags, there is still very little focus on ops and the world of operation, which is usually associated with item. And that gap actually started uh, uh, you know, being fulfilling with uh, our other concepts, models, and uh, ideas, and ITIL is still struggling to take a position in providing recommendations on that part. So we needed to address this, and at the same time, to not uh, you know, uh, uh, start competing with uh, our uh, concepts such as DevOps, because we, we were all about integration rather than counter position and uh, uh, competing. So that was an interesting discussion as well. Uh, another very principle uh, and the critical discussion was, uh, who is the target audience? Is it uh, like it used to be uh, a guidance for internal IT serving the business? or it's a guidance for commercial service providers serving uh, some external customers out in the market, or it's both, or can it be applied to non-IT service providers? 
Is it in general guidance for service providers or service consumers as well? Shall we address the service consumption or only service provision? Uh, and this is where we came up with this concept of organization as the scope of ITIL, and you can apply it uh, to organization and scope of a single unit within a bigger corporation, bigger enterprise, or you can treat the whole enterprise as organization or even a group of companies as organization, as long as they have common goals and management system. So our, I believe we managed to create quite a scalable uh, framework, which can be applied in a very small scope or in a huge scope, and it will still be relevant. And to create terminology that would be applicable to that and models that would be applicable to this variable scope was quite a challenge. This is what, what the, at the foundation level that what we had to do. And I bet and there then, was, oh, sorry. I was gonna say, sorry. I bet there was a lot of decision points because most of the decision points were in the, what does the foundation look like? Yes, because uh, uh, this is the first title um, generation, let's say, mm -hmm. with a foundation book. Version three and version two didn't have foundation books. There were uh, compilations that were positioned as an intro or like introduction of foundation, uh, but they were compilations of other volumes. And this one started with the foundation book, and that's a, also quite a different approach to actually creating the product. We first created a high-level model and then go, went deeper. Yes. And uh, on that, I want to mention one of the decision points that I'm glad you put in, because it's something I've been preaching for a long time, and that's the outside-in view. It just shows up very small in there, but I think that viewpoint of how we view IT is important. And there's a movie several years ago in the US, it's a baseball movie, I'm not a baseball person. It's a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And I feel like that's how IT has been for so many years without taking the stakeholder feedback and saying, we need to align our resources to our stakeholders. And that's what I, I felt that ITIL board was going. The first, the first principle of ITIL is very focused on value. Yes. And uh, this is why I really get almost mad when I see uh, uh, some comparisons saying ITSM is focused on output. I don't know, XLAs are focused on outcomes. No, ITSM is not focused on outputs. It's focused right. on where you focus it on. And we recommend as a good practice to focus on outcomes and value for stakeholders, which by the way, are not only customers. Correct. It's multiple stakeholders, including shareholders, including your own organization, employees, society around, and all yeah. that stuff. And that's, that's, that is there since 2019. Uh, and I'm really proud that we managed to put it there in quite a clear way for those who take their time to read. And your stakeholders could be accounting or legal or whomever okay. within your internal group that you have to satisfy and you have to build your, your if you're doing asset management, finance and accounting have to be included. They are stakeholders. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have to include them. And uh, so sorry for me to get on my soapbox, but that's one of the things that I dislike about how traditional IT is. Build it. You know, we build it. We're the smart ones. You all have to consume it. And I like the outside in viewpoint. Are you free to talk about, loaded question, Roman, are you free to talk about some of the things that were discussed, but eh, didn't really make it into the final product? And I say it that way because I, it's not to embarrass anyone. It's not, but you know, we all have decision points in our lives and you can't include everything. So what were some of the things that maybe uh, 
had value but didn't make it into the final product? Well, it, it's always a curation work. It's always because we, we, were, uh, we were working in, in a system of many constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is that each module of each volume of content that we create here is supposed to also to serve our, as a our source of information for an official certification, for example. Mm -hmm. And there is a training market that will be using it. And uh, uh, there are some market-driven requirements for the duration of the training. And uh, from the content creator perspective, I would like to make uh, each of these books maybe three times thicker. Yes. Uh, and uh, our, uh, like for, for a proper two weeks training, uh, but market will not accept it. So we needed to curate. This is why uh, I, I used that example with uh, um, complexity and Kahneman. We needed to create it down to 1,000 words from 8,000 words, not because the other six were uh, of low value, but because they were uh, not meeting this duration constraint. Even with some of the content in the books being non-examinable and not covered by the syllabus, we still have to maintain this balance of the uh, volume to quality to uh, scope to details to everything. And some things that I would really love to see there ended up being supplementary content rather than core content. Some things were dropped because uh, they are based on models or they are models from third parties. ITIL is trying to adopt everything good that had been developed in the market before uh, and is developing now. And uh, uh, it would be nice to have certain concepts there, but sometimes they are copyrighted, they are owned by certain uh, bodies that may see Axelos as a competitor. And uh, uh, we, in this case, had to describe certain things without naming them explicitly or without like you using the copyrighted names and giving references, but not going too deep because we were not allowed to. Uh, there wasn't many, uh, there were not many examples like this, but there were a few occasions where this uh, uh, became an issue and we couldn't solve it in a reasonable time and money. Uh, there are some concepts that uh, are, are not named explicitly, but used uh, uh, and uh, uh, described. Maybe I would want them to be described in more details. One is uh, very like raising hype right now is the experience-based uh, economy and experience level agreements. And I'm happy to see that both in the practice uh, guide for service level management in and in the draft stakeholder value book, we explicitly say that we recommend to structure service level agreements uh, around utility, warranty, and experience if your services are facing living, breathing users. Not all IT services are actually user-facing. User right. Uh, some, sometimes they're used by other IT services. If you think of architecture or for infrastructure as a service, it's usually used by other systems and there is no physical uh, or human users are experiencing anything directly from them. They experience them by proxy of other services on the top. But generally, we do describe what is experience level agreement, how uh, we don't use the term XLA a single time, I believe, or just say something right. like sometimes called EXLA or just XLA without going into our naming and uh, labeling. Sometimes I, I, I'm happy we, we don't do that because we don't want to create new uh, entities without a real need for them. 
Sometimes I would like to highlight that this is the thing that uh, uh, we are currently discussing. It's already there. We just don't call it, I don't know, XLA in this example. I will not go into other examples because we don't call it. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> there are some things that I would probably do slightly different. For example, uh, as I mentioned last year, we published uh, a book on sustainability in IT. I wish to you uh, that much about sustainability back in 2018-17 when we started this work or involved people who are working on sustainability concepts and had sustainability as a golden thread through uh, all following publications rather than as a separate book probably or in addition to a separate book. I think uh, uh, so one what we are going to do now is uh, as a normal process of continual improvement of the practice guides uh, to consider including some sustainability recommendations specific to each practice. Because uh, we believe it's a very important lens that will be more and more used by organizations, uh, either by legal requirements or by goodwill. I agree. And so I want to push in on two things, if I may. One of them, you mentioned experience. I think experience has become a buzzword. And the only reason I think experience is so prominent now is because we as an IT industry, I'm not pushing this on ITIL, I'm saying we as an IT industry have done service level agreements poorly to get to this point where we're focused on experience. Like if we would have had the, 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 the SLA, OLA underpinning contract view before, we would have understand, hey, this is value, we need to focus on it. But since we have SLAs, focused on outputs, not outcomes now, we are now both focused to now turn our paradigm towards experience. Is that fair? It is absolutely fair. I also think that there are, it, like other good ideas, sometimes it is being uh, overhyped, overused, and uh, are, uh, has a risk of actually, uh, how to put it politely, has a risk of the opposite effect because yes. it's being overpushed sometimes. Uh, and I believe that uh, our, if we do it by our comparing and let's say counter positioning and uh, our, our putting SLAs and service level management and the experience level management as opposites, uh, we will never, we will be throwing away the, uh, the baby with the water all the time. Because uh, it's not because the idea of SLA is bad. It's because we just didn't cook it well. And I have a sticker on my laptop uh, and uh, when my laptops change, uh, uh, I move the sticker for a few years now. It's a sticker of uh, Gotthard Slow uh, uh, saying that uh, uh, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Yes. That's the issue. And that will be the issue with experience as well if we forget about value that uh, is behind that experience. It, we have all the risks that we had with measuring, let's say technology or measuring service. Uh, we have all the risks uh, uh, when we try measuring experience without understanding the basics of measurement and basically, uh, and without understanding the value. 100% agree. In two parts on there, I dislike the benchmarking of experience because all organizations are unique. Uh, and that's something that's common now. And I don't, I don't think you could take two hospitals in the same city and say that they're, they are 
not unique where you could compare them, much less saying every organization across every industry across the world should align just because we're all different. That's Maybe number one. interesting data, but definitely not sufficient to make management decisions. Right. It brings up the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. But, uh, you know, just because anyway, I don't want to get down that rabbit trail. But I just think that there's so much focus on experience because we messed up what service level agreements should have been. And that's the point that I would like to to transition to the next point, the next question, if I may. It's hard to believe because this pandemic has thrown off all of our time scales. My, I would be the first one to admit, Roman, we're approaching three years, or we may have already passed it, since ITIL 4 was released. You've had some time to reflect. You mentioned uh, the environmental piece. And is, are there any other reflections that, that, you know, that resonate with you? Because, you know, we all, I think those of us who want to do great work are always reflective in assessing? Uh, it was three years, uh, a couple of weeks ago, in mid okay. mid beginning of February. Um, I mentioned sustainability piece, and it's important to note that uh, it's not only about environment, actually. Right. Uh, it's about complex, so our, our, our environmental, social, and financial sustainability, and generally about thinking long-term and uh, are complex rather than local and short-term. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's a, it's a fundamental change in mindset, and it's really important. And uh, I think it, it was in the idol from the beginning, but I would uh, like to highlight it further. Um, generally, I'm reasonably proud with some architectural decisions. Uh, and I will mention that one of them, um, the practices, uh, we published them separate for separately from uh, uh, the core books, which is different from how it was before. The books were 80% collection of processes. Now it's they are not. And all practices are published as uh, individual electronic documents. Very plain PDF right now, maybe it will change, uh, which allows to update them individually without uh, a major uh, review of the framework. And now after three years, we see what we want to update there. We have some plans of updating them. And I'm happy to see that it won't ruin the uh, exam structure. I believe we designed idle for more agile development and improvement. Uh, more like uh, um, the principle is uh, progress iteratively with feedback. And that's exactly what we designed it for, for the most important and maybe mostly under um, valued right now, uh, underestimated part of the idle, which is, or five of the idle four, which is the practices. Because volume-wise, it's about, uh, uh, so it's roughly uh, 30, 40 pages uh, each. There are 34 documents. So the volume is equal or more than the core publications. And they are the least read now, uh, which again, we probably should change our, from the um, certification architecture and training architecture perspective. But content-wise, uh, I'm really proud that they are more flexible, more agile, and more improvable, and less made in concrete. Um, some things that um, 
upon reflection uh, probably could be done uh, differently. Or, or I will give another example. It's also practice related, as I mentioned. Uh, the consumption of idle content, unfortunately, is largely driven by the training market. Yes. In the uh, uh, boldest form, if it's not examinable, it won't be taught. If it's not taught, people will not read it because nobody reads the books. Most of the people, uh, most of the students, they actually get information from ITIL by proxy of their trainers and PowerPoint presentations. It's one of the reasons why people search, apart from uh, obvious financial reasons, why people search uh, uh, made the decision of making a book mandatory as part of every exam. So now people at least will have the book. And one of the reasons is because there is more in the book than in the training. I'm not sure whether this uh, measure will work and force people to read them, but at least they have an opportunity. So uh, as practices haven't been largely examined, uh, they haven't been largely read. I believe people are missing an important bit of it. I read them. Uh, that's, that's a market, uh, market structure and uh, business model discussion rather than content discussion. But I believe there is a huge room for improvement there, like a bowl hole for improvement. I've read them. And I'm probably one of those nerds that do that. But you're right. We don't. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I consume a lot of content. Very, very little is on ITO4. And even smaller of the ITO4 is on the practices. And you mentioned one, one thing that, that triggered a thought. In ITO V3, if you wanted the books, you could read the books cover to cover. And I did in my spare time when I had a corporate job just to learn, right? To get, you read again, get deeper thought. These, you're not going to have that luxury of picking up an HVIT book and it including the, the practices or, you know, I mean, they're separate thoughts. And I think that's going to be one thing that that's tougher for people to conceptualize that HVIT may have practices involved but they're not they're not you know they're connected guides yeah and so i i think that'll give people heartache until until they get further comfortable with it but i believe it's 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 a necessary headache i i believe right. the value of this uh change is uh higher than there are um, discomfort associated yes. with this. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would give you an, an uh, analogy here. We introduced the concept, finally, also long overdue, the concept of uh, uh, value stream. Mm -hmm. And it's quite obvious that none of the practices are enough to uh, go through the full uh, uh, like, you know, collection of activities in any valuable interaction. If you think of, uh, uh, let's say, incident management, it usually start, starts with either monitoring and event management or service desk, depending on how proactive or reactive we are in, uh, towards our incidents. Then incident management does some activities. Then very likely it will involve some change management or change enablement or the way you name it. Maybe some software development, maybe some release management, maybe some uh, uh, deployment it is likely to end with uh, another monitoring and event management to confirm that everything is fine and or another service desk activities. And this flow of activities is actually built from elements from different practices. And this 
major activities are supported by other practices such as configuration, asset management, knowledge management, financial management, you name it, management that provides data and uh, uh, methods and tools for the core flow of this value stream. And when we describe and discuss it in these terms, it becomes very obvious. However, in real life, people still keep thinking within a box of one practice or process or whatever they name it. So uh, it requires some mental shift to uh, see all these managements, you call them practices or capabilities or uh, processes, doesn't matter, um, as just building blocks for valuable workflows, value streams in this case. Similarly, each book of ITIL refers to multiple practices and it's the same practices. It's a collection of specialized resources that we use in order to create value for stakeholders, as you quite rightly said a few minutes ago. So our, it, it should be treated as a collection of resources rather than an established function, which doesn't interact with others. And I'm with you there because let's, let's say a change. A change is gonna take a different path depending on what type of change it is. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and, it, and I think of a, so we talk value streams and I think of a stream different different parts of the stream different times of the year it's going to take a different path it's going to alter slightly and that's the imagery that i always try to give people that it's it's a project management people would call it a happy path what are the what's the best path for us going from point a to point b without waste without having too much bureaucracy with all that other stuff right it's like how do we get from point a to point b efficiently absolutely that's uh, maybe i use 20 words when one would work but it's one of those that i i just think that we get bogged down with process versus value stream versus the other and it's no it's how do we do things efficiently and include the right people so there, you mentioned there have been several big changes from ITIL B3 to ITIL 4. And you mentioned value streams in an iterative approach. What are some of the other, in your opinion, big steps from ITIL B3 to ITIL 4? I believe it's very important. I will give you just one uh, uh, that... Um, the introduction of practices, not mm -hmm. only renaming, but introduction of practices which are described as more than processes. Right. So basically each management in this collection of 34, well, 33 plus one enablement, uh, plus one service desk. Okay, uh, so um, most of them are managements. And these managements are not uh, limited to just correct workflows as they used to be. Right. They uh, should include all what we call them, all four dimensions of service management. When you, if you want to manage your, let's say incidents again, uh, successful, successfully, then you need not only to identify the flow of actions from registration to resolution, you also need uh, to provide proper competences and human resources to, provide, to establish maybe proper teams uh, uh, or make the current teams work effectively. Uh, you need to automate this process with certain information technology and tools. You need to um, involve third parties because uh, I believe there is no practice that is uh, fully performed within the organization these days. We all depend on third parties. So our 
restructuring the management from focusing on processes purely to focusing on our complex four dimensions involving the, the, the workflows, the processes and various streams. I believe it's a critical and important change because it's not only about flows of activities. It's right. about developing capability that includes these activities, but not limited to them. Uh, I believe it's, it's one of the very important foundation level changes. Another uh, model that I'm particularly proud of, and I believe it's, uh, it's the beginning of uh, another important story in the long story, is the model introduced by the wonderful team led by Christian Nissen in the DSV book, in Drastic Holder Value book. And this is the, uh, uh, in the book it's called customer journey. I would call it just service journey, right? because in fact, it's a joint journey of the consumer organization and the provider organization. And this shows these steps of this uh, marriage are uh, maybe lifelong, maybe less than lifelong from uh, exploration to value creation and review. And uh, um, this is where ITIL explicitly, first time I believe, provided guidance for consumer organization. And this is why we use this journey to structure the recent cloud book, because the cloud book is the cloud consumer guidance rather than cloud provider guidance. So our, this explicit demonstration of the uh, mutual or co-creation uh, of value rather than just develop, uh, provider guidance, I believe it's an important shift in positioning ITIL. Uh, and we, in order to create value, it's not enough to effectively provide services. It is equally important to effectively consume services and to build so and manage service relationship effectively. I agree. And the DSB piece is one that is always resonates with me because of, you mentioned the, the customer journey, but this kind of touches back to that experience part, right? Is that both parts own that value co-creation. And not only do they own the results, the value, but they own almost every st uh, step from engage on, they are partnering to make sure that there's value co-created. Agree? Because, you know, Absolutely. explore, we can, uh, we'll go there. Yeah, we'll just explore is something we do, but everything from engage on is co-created. So on, let's move to a final question and then we'll give you a chance to give parting words. But I always think, what does ITIL 5 look like? Whatever it's named, whenever it comes out, try not to prejudice you in any way. And I think, or, you know, it could just be subsequent books like the sustainability and cloud until ITIL 4. But you all have been working on this a long time. You have thoughts on what does the future look like? Any sneak peeks for us? Or uh, I think I can officially say we do not foresee ITIL five. Oh. We, uh, I mean, not in the not in the uh, foreseen visible area of the future that I can penetrate with my with my view. Um, there is there, there there is a definitely a plan for uh, there are plans for continual development of ITIL four, which involves uh, improvement and updates of the current uh, publications. First of all, the practices, as the practices evolve, because uh, things described in other books are a bit more stable. Practices are expected to be evolving faster. This is 
the, hence the architecture of five to four. And also uh, we do plan to provide more uh, specific guidance such as the cloud and sustainability one. So I don't expect an architectural review of this in the, let's say next couple of years, at least just because I'm, I'm not brave enough to look further. <laughs> uh, and I truly think that uh, our, we architected Title IV in a way that it uh, will be able to develop uh, iteratively uh, and when it will be renamed uh, or when something will be named Title V or some, given some other fancy name, it will be not because there will be a major architecture review, but because there will be enough of uh, cumulative uh, changes to present it as a new product. And it may be driven more with marketing rather than with the content. I, I have it. this, I hope it will be like that. I hope we created it uh, uh, to last, but not just to last being frozen, but to last and develop. And so I don't. I don't foresee Title Five in any, in any uh, reasonably close future, uh, because Title Four is has the potential for development. Yeah, the part I sorry I stepped over you there, but the part that I think is is important for all of us to understand is for this to still be germane three years is a lot given all that we've lived through the last three years and our rates of change are picking up. Like there's something we can, we all have to admit, at least to ourselves, that the rates of change, you know, the time of having a one year okay. project and the rates of change are picking up. And that's why, I mean, it's a brave new world we live in. We also call it VUCA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. It's not, so, it's not that brave new world, but it's definitely volatile and certain complex <laughs> and ambiguous. So it we is. need to be really brave in order to survive in it, yes. Yeah, I just meant, though, it's like those explorers, you know, because we don't know what's coming and there's going to be disruption and innovation that we just cannot fathom today. But and, we know for sure there will be something. It won't be the same next year as it is now. So, yes. And I believe this, we, we tried to implement it in IT4 and include it in IT4, but if there will be a massive change, it will be... Uh, the driving guide for uh, even further from uh, prescriptive process and procedures based uh, things into something more are, are focused on navigating complexity. We really did our best to uh, make this step for ITIL4 from the previous versions, but there is still space to go in that direction. And you mentioned something that I don't have time to get into. It's just going from prescriptive ITIL v3 to the less prescriptive ITIL 4. I, that will say for another day, Roman, because I think that's one of the things that's difficult for people to pick up that like value streams. It's you can't say checklist like an IKEA box, do one, number two, number three, number four, number five in that order every time. You just oh, can't. Only in a limited let's say scope of situations, yeah. Right. And the ability to switch between different different complexities, switch between, let's say, simple or clear and complicated and complex and even chaotic situations and to apply uh, the relevant heuristics there and then to switch back is a key skill that we all have to develop. And there are new variables popping in every day. You know what I mean? Like it may be the same today, but you have one new variable that changes everything. 
And exactly. so everything's anew. So as we as we close, are there any parting words that you have to uh, share for us? Uh, just the, 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 the last thing I said, let's all be ready for our even increasing complexity. And uh, I really hope that idle as it is, will help organizations to address these challenges. And I really hope that ITIL will be strong enough to face these challenges as a product and effectively develop further. I'm really curious to see where it all is going. Me too. I'm excited for it just because I think that uh, when you're on the edge of new, that the cream always rises to the top. I'm always excited because the longer something goes, it gets dragged down a bit. And so I'm excited. And I thank you for joining us, Roman, and hope to have you on in the future. Thank you very much for having me and uh, our four wonderful questions. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. And you too. Bye.